It's time for a WeChat workout. WeChat. Go to the Cliff Central account. Tap connect. Then message to show. On radio. On radio. More of the good stuff. CliffCentral.com. Well, good afternoon. Um, uh, my name is Dr. Cindy Siofansale, and I've got a bad cold. So I'm feeling a bit groggy today, but I'm really glad to have Mara in studio. She's a, she's a clinical psychologist, and today we're chatting about something that's really close to my heart because I was admitted with postnatal depression in April 2013, and that really was a turning point of my life. So I'm so glad to have Mara as a guest. She's, um, yeah, as I said, she's a clinical psychologist, and she'll be sharing with us Everything about postnatal depression. So, Mara, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. I just want to clear up: I'm a counselling psychologist. A counselling yes. psychologist. Okay, let's just okay, let's just clarify that. What's the difference between a clinical psychologist? That's how and much a time counselor? do you have? Because I think that's it's <laughs> a, a good question. Um, people people do wonder, and I think so do we as practitioners. Yeah. Um, in terms of the training, it's it seems to be mostly the same. Mm. Um, I actually trained overseas, so but my understanding of the training here is that the training is pretty much the same. It depends on what uh, client group you really want to work with. Oh, I see. So in the UK, clinical psychologists mainly work in hospitals, um, more sort of severe disorders, psychotic disorders, those types of things, mm-hmm. um, whereas counseling psychologists work with the mood disorders, anxiety disorders, and we do therapy. Oh, um, okay. And it's sort of a much more holistic approach as opposed to just focusing on the medical model with diagnosis and treatment. Oh, okay. Um, so, so that's the, the differentiation there. Um, in South Africa, clinical psychologists do therapy, counseling psychologists work in hospitals. It seems to be sort of whatever goes, really. Okay. Uh, and so you, I'm not so so you studied in, in the UK? Yes. Okay. And you were there for how many years? Nine years. Oh, wow. Mm, and yeah, how was that time. experience? Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I did all my training there. I did undergrad, postgrad. And, you know, it's just, I think it definitely um, it changed me as a person just in terms of sort of growing up becoming a bit more independent, you know, learning about yourself. It, it really was. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't fault it. Obviously the weather gets you down, but I think you just, you know, you deal with it. You buy boots and jackets every winter. So that keeps you going. Well, in Johannesburg, people wear boots and jackets anyway. The moment it's cloudy, <laughs> everyone's boots are out. So it's hilarious. But it's amazing how quickly you acclimatize to the heat again. So, yeah. yeah. So what made you come back to South Africa? Um, it was never meant to be a permanent situation. So I was going for a couple of years and then I, you know, you got in, I got into undergrad, I got a good job, then I got into postgrad, got another good job. So you end up just nine years later. Um, but I'd always, you know, my family's here. Um, and there's something about South Africa. There's just something, you know, you can't, there's nowhere else in the world like it. And the, the sort of quality of life that we have, I just, you couldn't beat it. And, and I always wanted to come back. Well, we, 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 I mean, it's so glad, to, we're so glad to have you back, Mara. So when I met you, we met on the, uh, the set of, uh, we were doing a TV shoot mm. for, um, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Yeah. And the topic on that day was depression. So I want to know from, from you, the specific focus on postnatal depression. Mm-hmm. Where did your interest in that come from? And then from there, what is postnatal depression? Mm-hmm. I actually got involved in working with postnatal depression mostly through working with moms who had been through traumatic birth experiences mm-hmm. because I specialize in trauma. Um, so that's how I got involved in, in the postnatal work. Mm-hmm. And moms and dads. So dads, I mean, I remember working with one dad specifically who his wife had ended up in ICU for a week yeah. um, after giving birth to their child. Um, so they, he was he had to to look after the child and he couldn't he was so you know he was so traumatized by what he'd seen his wife going through that he actually couldn't touch the child he couldn't pick the child up he was that 
that desperate um, because he, he blamed himself, he blamed the child, and, and I was working with him in therapy, and, and that's how I got more and more, you know, that's one of the people that's, that's piqued my interest in postnatal depression um, because we think about moms with postnatal depression, but dads also suffer from from depression, anxiety, trauma following the, the birth of a baby. And that's the thing, Mara, that what people don't understand about pregnancy, um, you know, the delivery, labor delivery and all of that stuff is that it's not always fun, mm. right? So, yes, babies are, um, you know, bouncy, joyful things to have, but there's so much that happens inside. And I think I'm one of the people that's really honest. Even on Twitter, I'm very honest about motherhood and, mm-hmm. and all of that stuff. It has, it's not a walk in the park and it doesn't matter how strong your support system is. It, it takes a lot of adjusting. Okay. Absolutely. And when I look at myself and how I ended up with postnatal depression, it's because my son was born and things just didn't go according to plan. Mm-hmm. So then, you know, he was born with a cord around his neck twice. Oh. Then he ended up in ICU mm-hmm. and then he had jaundice. And that really wasn't my plan for the first boy mm-hmm. in, you know, after a string of, of, of granddaughters. Then we had a son and I was expecting things to be much happier, much better, you know. So postnatal depression itself is the, is the blues that happens after you've had a baby but that persist beyond a certain period and start affecting your life, right? Yeah, so the baby blues are very, very common. Yeah. Um, up to 80% of women will experience the baby blues. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's very typical. You know, you've got a newborn in the house. You're not going to be getting much sleep. You're going to be quite anxious. You're going to be quite agitated, restless, all of those typical things that are very, very normal that, that are going to happen in the first couple of weeks after the birth. Um, but with the baby blues, it tends to resolve itself. Mm. So generally within about 10 days and there's no, you know, there's no sort of psychological or psychiatric intervention needed because the, the mom can still keep going and she can still do everything that she needs to do. Postnatal depression is persistent and it generally is diagnosed sort of four weeks after birth mm. and even up to a year. So even mums with a, a one-year-old who, who are sort of struggling, we would look at postnatal depression. Um, and it's, it's very much, it's a much deeper depression, much lower mood, more agitation, um, sense of sort of worthlessness, guilt, thoughts of suicide, um, not being able to make decisions, not being able to concentrate, you know, when they can't sleep. And obviously having a newborn, you know, you don't get much sleep. But with moms with postnatal depression, even when they have the opportunity to sleep, they still really struggle to sleep. Um, we see changes in appetite, all of these types of things. So it's it can be a very significant disorder for moms to experience. And and, this, and, the, and the diagnosis of, of postnatal depression is always a problem. Because I know that my son was born in December 2011. I then had a total mental breakdown in April 2013. But for at least six to seven months before that, I'd been displaying mm-hmm. all the symptoms that you've spoken about. So I went from the, being the social butterfly, which I am, mm-hmm. to not being withdrawn. I couldn't make decisions. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't do anything. I stopped eating. I lost 13 kilograms from not eating. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't take interest in life or my kids or anything that I enjoyed. And I'm a medical doctor and most of my friends are medical doctors and no one around me could really pick up that I was, you know, going through depression. Mm. What more a person that's not in the same circle that I'm in, you know, clinics should be more vigilant. Um, Absolutely. You know, if someone is is listening and they feel as if they could have personal depression, where would their first port of call be? Well, generally it would be their GP. 
um, they can go and have a chat to. But you're absolutely right. So, so one of the problems we see in South Africa is that the professionals aren't trained. Um, and the organization, um, Postnatal Depression Support Association, we ran some trainings last year aimed specifically at the private sector. So GPs, psychiatrists, psychologists, gynecologists, pediatricians, all of those professionals, um, to try and improve people's knowledge of postnatal depression. Because, you know, moms will go to the pediatrician, they check out the baby, everything's looking good, milestones, all of the rest of it. But they don't say to the mom, how are you? Mm, and how are you feeling? Mm. Yeah. So actually understand, you know, are you sleeping? Are you able to fall asleep? Are you eating? Are you looking after yourself? All of these types of things that are very simple questions, but nobody asks them. And, you know, that's, that's part of the problem is that people aren't looking out for postnatal depression. And we know with postnatal depression, it's about between sort of 10, 15, 20% of women will suffer from postnatal depression. So it's a significant that's, that's number. That's a significant number, mm. Mara. Mm. And I think the, the other problem as well is that as women, we just expect it to be strong and get on mm. with it. Well, something you mentioned earlier about the expectations for the birth of your son mm. and that word expectations. I mean, that's something that, you know, we all suffer from. And when it comes to motherhood, you're just going to take to it like a duck to water. Everything's going to be fantastic. The birth is going to go brilliantly. The baby's going to be fabulous and happy and healthy. And there's all of these expectations from ourselves and from society. So, you know, you can't be a sad mom. You've just had a baby. What's wrong with you? You know, you should be happy that at least your child is well. Or and your baby has 10 fingers and 10 toes. Exactly. And, oh, exactly. I heard that a lot. Mm. So it's those expectations then that lead moms to struggle to actually ask the question. So to be able to go to their GP or their, their doctor and to say, you know, uh, something's not right. I'm not feeling quite myself. I know I've got a new baby in the house, but I'm just not coping. Because we have all of these expectations. There's a stigma around, you know, what will people think? I'm not a good mom. All of those types of things. And you know, Mara, with the, with the, with the <coughs> example that you gave earlier on, with the husband whose wife had then been admitted to ICU, mm. how did, what did you have to talk him through? I mean, he had the, the traumatic birth, <laughs> the traumatic delivery, and then of course the postpartum um, admission to ICU. What did you guys, ha- what did you have to talk him through? What, what, what was in his heart? What is he struggling with? Well, in his case, he was referred to me for, for the trauma. So yeah. it was, it was very much a trauma referral. Um, and he was just devastated as much as his wife, you know, the mum had had the expectation. So had he. And I mean, there was a lot of stuff, you know, it's sort of quite stereotypical stuff maybe, but in his case, it, it was there around being the man of the house, looking after, being able to provide for his wife, keep her safe, all of those types of things. And he had felt his failure because he hadn't been able to help his wife in that situation. And, you know, the problem was um, he was in the room, obviously, when the delivery started. Um, and then, you know, it got quite bad and all these, you know, all those sort of specialists come running in um, and nobody told him what was going on so so he actually thought his wife was going to die I see. Um, and that was very traumatic for him so you know the thoughts around how am I going to look after a child on my own and, and I don't want the and child all of that was happening wife. during all of this exactly exactly so I only saw him quite a number of weeks after the baby was, you know, after the baby was born. Um, but it was that first sort of week when his wife was, was in ICU that he, and then he felt so guilty because he, he was angry with this baby for causing this mm. hurt to his wife, um, and struggling to bond with the baby and, and that type of thing. So, so there was a lot going on there with him. Um, and 
you know, again, it's a, it's a stereotype, but sometimes men struggle to be able to talk about those things. Mm. So it was actually, it, it was, it was his GP who noticed something that was going on and referred him. Um, and, and he was actually, you know, he was in therapy. He, he valued it so much and, and the opportunity to actually talk about these things in a space that was confidential and available mm. to him. That is so awesome. Mm. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned and get the baby because I know that just from the work that I do dealing with moms who've, you know, who are HIV positive and they've had babies many times they're angry at everything. And mm. sometimes, you know, if you, if your life has been turned upside down by this baby, you can feel feelings of anger towards mm. the baby, but you can't share them with anyone. Mm. So if, they, if, if there's a mom out there, Mara, who feels this way, how would you, how would you suggest they cope with such, you know, because your life really does get turned upside down. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the important things for, for women to know, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's frustration, is that these are normal reactions to have. So lots of women feel this way. You know, that's one of the things with postnatal depression that people feel so isolated. I'm the only mom who's ever been angry at my child. I'm the only mom who's ever felt this way and, and they, they can't express that because of a lot of the things that we've been talking about around stigma and, and expectation. So if they have somebody that they can talk to, that they feel comfortable and confident with, um, that would be ideal, you know, if they can actually share how they're feeling and start to just understand what's going on. You know, maybe it's quite normal to feel angry. Your whole li- As you said, your whole life has been turned upside down. Um, you've now got huge responsibilities and, and other expectations Maybe you've had to give up studying or work or, or whatever it might be, things that you wanted to do. Maybe it was an unplanned pregnancy. And all of these things are going to come up. So if you've got somebody around you that you can talk to, then then that is, that's a good first start. Um, obviously, therapy is an option, but, but it's a that there's a cost implication for some people and access to, to the facility. Um, but somewhere like SADAG, so the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, they have telephone counselors that are there to listen and support, and they would be able to refer on to groups. So groups can be very, very useful for mums as well. Um, support groups or just general mums and tots groups, you know, being with women who are in the same circumstances, maybe they've got some good suggestions about how to get baby to sleep or, or whatever it might be. And it's that sort of shared camaraderie that can, can help women as well. Mm. I know that when, um, after my daughter was born, um, I joined the Mums and Tots group. I really enjoyed it. But after a while, it became like a little competition to mm. see whose baby does what. Yeah, <laughs> that, that can happen, <laughs> I know, I, that is so annoying. Mm. Like, oh, my child's doing this better than your mm. child. And so, on. you know, it is, it is very funny. But Mums and Tots is a great place to, I think, sit and t- chat. And I think just platforms like this as well, where we are honest about how sometimes mummyhood is just not mm. what it's, you know, it's meant to be. Mm. You know, even I don't even know if there's a meant to be. What is motherhood meant to be like? I don't even think well, that's exactly a standard. it. You know, maybe you know. we all all have different expectations, but mm. there seems to be the societal expectation that gets placed on us. Um, and, you know, things, if it's an unplanned pregnancy, that's going to throw up all sorts of things. Even if it's a wanted pregnancy, but it's unplanned, it's going to bring up all sorts of, of difficulties and, you know, adjustments and things that we've got to change in our lives. So all of those things are going to be impacting on us. And what's important is for us to acknowledge that. Mm. So what we tend to do in general in our everyday lives is just pretend these things don't impact on us. Um, push them aside, push them down, ignore them and they'll go away, but they don't. 
No, they don't. And then eventually you fall apart. I mean, mm. I remember with me, I just kept on going. I was an autopilot, Mara. Mm. I kept on going. I got a promotion at work. Everything was just carrying on mm-hmm. as it's meant to. But inside, I was dead. Yeah. And I think that's the worst. You know, you, you, you it's, it's almost as if I was watching a movie of my own life and not, and not taking part. Mm. So that's also that sense of sort of helplessness and hopelessness that nothing's going to change. Mm. Um, so I might be able to keep going and I'm competent in what I do, but I don't feel engaged in it. And, you know, then we don't get the engagement back from our baby. Then we start to feel, am I a bad mother? My baby doesn't love me. I don't love my baby, whatever it might be. And, and that's going to perpetuate it. And, okay, so just in terms, from a, uh, terms of a treatment point of view, I know, th- I mean, therapy is, is the first step. Um, um, medication, when would you refer someone for medication? Well, generally, I mean, you say therapy is the first step. Generally, people actually probably have medication first or, or the option of medication first because the therapy services are, are not so readily available for, for the vast majority of people. Um, so medication is definitely an option for people. But again, moms worry about um, becoming dependent on medication. Which is a myth. It is, but you know, that it's something that people worry about. So mm. they won't even, they won't even entertain the idea of medication. So again, it's about asking those questions of the doctor or the psychiatrist and saying, you know, this is my concern. I'm worried I'll become dependent on it. Or I'm breastfeeding at the moment. I'm exactly. worried that, you know. Yeah, exactly. So that's a big one that moms worry about. How's it going to impact on my baby? And generally doctors will weigh up the risk of a mum being very depressed and not being able to engage with her baby or, you know, feed baby or, or interact with baby as opposed to being on medication. That might be better for the baby, even with the, you know, the, the risk of the medication mm. than mum being depressed. So, so that is an option. And generally, you know, one of the risks for postnatal depression is a previous episode of depression mm. or anxiety, um, either sort of previously in your life or during pregnancy. So that's that's a risk. Um, and if you are on medication already, so if you're suffering from depression and you're on antidepressants and then you fall pregnant, generally doctors will look at what medication you're on and they will rather keep you on that medication. If you've been stable on a medication, then they would tend to, to want to keep it on that medication. Oh, okay. And in terms of um, therapy itself, how many, I mean, I know that I was in therapy for months mm. and I mean, I don't go as often as I, I, I had to go initially because I've, I've somewhat stabilized on therapy and on medication, but how many sessions generally do people, most people need? Mm. Gosh, uh, and that's, that's weird. I know that's it's a, a difficult, difficult question, question, but I think mm. I know with me, it took about eight weeks, eight, yeah. eight weekly sessions for me to even start coming out of the woods. I generally say to people when we start therapy, I generally say um, we would start with between eight and 12 sessions. So, and that's, as you say, it's weekly therapy. So it's about eight weeks, 12 weeks, but we review it as we go. So, you know, after eight weeks, we, we might still need another eight weeks, but you know, people like to have a, have a timeline, but we can never say you will definitely be well within 12 sessions. Yeah, it depends on, on the, the progress that you make. Exactly. It depends on the person's history, on the severity of their depression, on their engagement, on whether they're on medication or not. All of, you know, other factors will come into play on, on whether the therapy is going to be effective in a certain period of time. Okay, so we've got a message on WeChat mm-hmm. and it's from Anonymous and Anonymous says that my girlfriend and I are expecting a baby in November. Um, we are both really nervous. It's their first baby. How can they start preparing for, for the baby? And to avoid well, postnatal depression. One of the important things that, that helps to, to prevent postnatal depression is support. Mm-hmm. So lack of support is a, is a definite risk for postnatal depression. So if he's very supportive of mom, practically, emotionally, all of those things, that's, that's going to help prevent 
postnatal depression. Um, so if he's able to do that and also just to, to look out for the signs, you know, if he's worried about mom, to talk to her, if he can help out with baby and to try and understand her expectations of, of the process. You know, what are you expecting of being a mom and what am I expecting of being a mom? And then they can start to look at that and, and maybe reality test a bit. You know, so if they're expecting the birth to be completely easy and natural and everything is hunky-dory and perhaps it doesn't go that way, then they at least they've talked about it, they've thought about it. So, you know, we can then make those decisions. I mean, often women have birthing plans um, or generally they do and, and often it doesn't go according to the plan. And that's exactly what happened with me, mm. you know. And then it, it throws it's so us all devastating. out. Exactly. Yeah. So just being able to think about it beforehand. So this is my ideal, but, you know, if this happens, then then that's okay. And maybe if, if I need to change my plan, then, then that's what I'd prefer to happen next so that they can talk through that. So the expectations are, are not so high um, and are maybe a bit more realistic around what could happen. Mm. And have you dealt with women that have had to give their babies up for adoption? I haven't actually. I don't have, no, I, I don't have any patients that have, mm. have had to do that. So I was thinking about that and wondering, I mean, would those women, I'm sure many of them would probably suffer from postnatal depression having given up their babies. I think it depends. You know, it's very uh, subjective. So if mm. if somebody really wants their baby and for for whether it's um, sort of financial reasons or social reasons, they can't keep the baby. That then puts them at a risk. If it's somebody who's, you know, made the decision, they've thought through all the options, they've talked to the, if there's a partner involved, they've talked to family, they've worked with maybe a social worker or psychologist, and they've understood the, impl- the implications of that and how they might feel giving up the baby, then then I think there's, there's less risk. Um, so I don't think it's it's as easy as, as sort of saying you know that the, that they would suffer from mm. from they might feel sad it might you know it'll be a loss um, but they don't necessarily suffer from postnatal depression. Mm. And just before we go for the song break, um, I wanted to ask you about admission. So I was admitted mm-hmm. for for two weeks. Um, if someone has a newborn baby and they need to be admitted, are there hospitals that admit mommy and baby? They are few and far between. I know of one that's building a unit at the moment, which is fantastic, mm-hmm. um, because that's one of the things that keeps moms out of hospital. So they don't want to go to their GP. They don't want to tell anybody they're feeling this way, because then I'm just going to be put in hospital, not going to be able to see my baby, or baby's going to be taken away from me, or something like that. So that that's a lot of the fears as well. So if we could support moms around, you know, this is something that you need support with. You can have your baby here. We can help you out with that. Then, then that's going to be the best option for them. Yeah, that really is. I mean, I mean, for me, I think what helped was to be away from my family, away from mm-hmm. work, away from everybody, mm-hmm. and and maybe for some women, having the baby taken away just for a few days is a good thing. Mm. Maybe some women need to be away from mum, from baby, and everyone else. Well, it, yeah, I think you're right. So, so maybe those women need a break, mm. which is is going to be beneficial to them. But I think it's still important for them to understand that nobody's removing your child because you're not capable or you're not competent. So we're we're going to look after baby so that you can get well, as opposed to you're not a good enough mother. We're taking baby away because that's how it can be interpreted unless it's talked about. Yeah, no, no fantastic. We'll be back after the song break to continue our very important chat on postnatal depression with Mara Zanella. Cliffcentral.com When life leaves you high and dry I'll be at your door tonight If you need help If you need help I'll shut down the city lights I'll lie, cheat, I'll beg and bribe To make you well To make you well When enemies are at your door I'll carry you away from more If you need help 
If you need help, your hope dangling by a string, I'll share in your suffering to make you well, to make you well. Give me reasons to believe that you would do the same for me. On radio, clipcentral.com. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to The Health Hour with Dr. Cindy Sierra-Fansail. Um, you can catch me on Twitter at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I, or you can tweet us at cliffcentral.com. And I have Mara Zanella in studio, and we're discussing postnatal depression. So during the break, Mara, we're speaking about um, guys and their expectations of, you know, of, of pregnancy and, mm-hmm. of course, um, you know, the delivery. What are some of the things that guys can do to support their partners um, or... Oh yeah. How, what are some of the things that people can do to support their partners during the pregnancy phase and and just postpartum? Well, I think they need to ask the questions of of the mum. You know, what can I do? How can I get involved? And to show that enthusiasm. So, you know, the woman might feel like she doesn't want to ask the dad to come to all the appointments because he's going to get bored or he's not interested or it's too much for him or, or whatever it might be. But he might actually be very keen to do that. So if they can have that discussion and say, you know, actually, I really, I really want to come to when you're having your scan that I really want to see our baby or I want to know whatever I need. I've got some questions for the gynecologist or obstetrician, whatever it might be. Um, and to, to talk about that, you know, and to say, this is how I'm interested. How can I help? I'm available. I want to be involved and to put that out to the mum. Um, you know, if she's, if she's angry that now she's feeling unwell or she's going through all these adjustments. And she's vomiting. I was a vomit exactly. comet. My husband <laughs> nicknamed me the vomit comet because I used to puke everywhere. <laughs> and who did you blame for that? I used to blame him. Okay. So exactly. So, you know, that, that might be something that's, that's going on and, and the, the partner is not going to know what to do. Mm. So they can say, well, what, how can I help you? How can I make it better? I can't, I can't stop the vomiting. That, that's not within my, my control. But what can I do to, to help you or to make you feel better? Can I get you a cup of tea or anything like that? Practical things, emotional support, those types of things will really help. But it starts with talking about these things. We have oh, yeah. to talk to each other. You know, we all think we're fabulous mind readers that we can just, we know exactly what's going on in the other person's mind, but we don't. Unless we ask the questions, we don't know what they're thinking. Yeah. And just, okay, so moving on to the postnatal um, society, the postnatal depression society that you're involved with. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit more about that organization and what they do? So that was, um, they originally started, I believe it was sort of mid nineties, 96, 97. Yeah. And it was born out of women who had experienced postnatal depression and there was no support available to them. So they started this organization and, um, it is a, an NGO and now the board consists of, I mean, it's, uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, all sorts of professionals on, mm. the, on the board. Um, and what we try and do, we've, we've only recently started up the, the Gauteng Committee, so that's what I'm part of. I think we started... Um, end of 2013. Okay. Um, so, so it's very, very recent still, but, but part of what we do is just to try and educate. So doing shows like this, TV shows, we go to all the, you know, the mamas and babas shows and, mm. and try and hand out our leaflets. Women give us a very wide berth when they see what we're trying <laughs> to hand out. Nobody wants to think about postnatal yeah. depression. You know, it's a happy time. Mm. So they don't want to be confronted with that type of thing. Um, but we've also, we try and run workshops. So in Cape Town, they, they run workshops. We've also got people in Durban. Um, running workshops and groups and, and going into um, sort of communities and, and trying to, to educate people, both professionals and mums. Mm. Um, so last year, as, as the Gauteng Committee, we focused, as I said, mostly on the private sector. Um, but seeing what's coming out of our, our 
stats in terms of the phone calls that we get and our, our website hits and that type of thing. It's much more, you know, we need community resources. So it's, it's people who can't afford private therapy, private psychiatry, all of those types of things. So we've actually uh, decided this year that our focus is going to be on, on uh, public sector. And we've already sort of made quite good links with some of the clinics. Um, go and do, do workshops with the actual sisters, you know, the nursing sisters, midwives, and then try and run some groups for, for mums as well with in the community That is so fantastic mm. I think that's so necessary mm. And I find that um, I think just for, from, for, for me as a, as, a, as, a, as a black woman Just the cultural um, mm. Expectation that You know You're a mom now You must just get on with it I mm. think that's why, that's why I struggle so much To, to even be admitted for two weeks I mean that is the happiest time of my life Because I was away from everything But just sometimes I'd be overwhelmed by the fact that I've how, how, how did I end up here? Mm. You know, I mean, to be a strong black woman and mm. here I am. Well, you said it's the happiest time and, and I wonder if some of that is because you could actually focus on yourself. Mm, it was. You I know? was, I was like a patient. I was mm. like everyone else and I really enjoyed that. And, and part of what we lose when we have kids is suddenly there's no me anymore. You know, in, in our relationships as well, there's no husband and wife or girlfriend, boyfriend. There's mm. just parents. We're now just parents. Mm. And we need to remember that we're also a couple within that relationship and that needs a focus as well. And we're individuals. So we also need to think about ourselves. But then you bring up all of these connotations of feeling selfish mm. and, you know, but my child, I, why I can't think about myself because my child needs me. But, you know, if I want to take a 10-minute bath and close the bathroom door and not have my children walk in on me, is that selfish? Mara, it's the small things. I mm. promise you, just today I said to my husband, we need to get keys for the bathroom <laughs> door because I cannot continue having my kids bodging mm. into, into the shower when, mm. bodging into the bathroom when, when I'm in the shower. And it's such a violation of one's privacy. And you it's know? such a simple thing, but it's amazing how many women struggle to close mm. the door. Because your child's like whining and pining mm. outside the door. And yeah, those things can really lead to depression. I know, I know what I used to do when I needed to be alone. This is another weeks leading up to my breakdown. Mm-hmm. I would drive around Johannesburg. Mm-hmm. This ring, they call it the ring road. Mm-hmm. I'd, after work, I'd get into my car, put on Sade. Mm-hmm. I love this woman called Sade. Mm-hmm. And I'd drive around Joburg until mm-hmm. I felt I was ready to go home. Because mm-hmm. at least I knew when I got home at half past seven in the evening, they were, t- the kids were tired. And then after 30 minutes, I'd go to bed. Yeah. But, and, and those are things that I just think not enough of us are speaking about that there's so much pressure there's so much this all the noise and sometimes you just want to be alone Mm. and there's a lot of things around working as well Mm. um so some women don't want to work but now there's this expectation that we're going to be working moms so if i just want to be a stay-at-home mom does that mean there's something wrong with me if i want to go back to work and i don't want to be a stay-at-home mom does that mean there's something wrong with me? And we have all of these things coming up and, and it's the sort of idea of being a perfect parent. You know, what is that? It doesn't exist. And it's not possible to achieve. And actually what we need for our kids is to show that we are fallible as well. So they learn you can make mistakes. And you know what? Then you notice that mistake and you get back on board and you start doing something or you apologize for it and off you go again. But when we pretend to be these perfect parents, that that puts a lot of pressure on children to to live up to. Um, so actually, it can be more difficult for children when when there's these expectations around perfection. Mm. And how would you, if you had a okay, so so if you had a child who was um, old enough to see that there's something wrong with mom, mm. how would you explain postnatal depression to a to a to a, to a five year old, for example? Well, I think obviously it depends on, as you say, the the age and the the maturity of the child um, and and their language ability and that type of thing. But 
people try to keep things hidden from children, mm. and children are amazingly perceptive, so they pick it up. They They're know exactly smart. what's going on. Yeah, and the problem is that if we don't tell them what's happening, they make stuff up. So they'll fill in the blanks. And generally, what they do is, um, you know, they're quite egocentric at that age, so they think about themselves. So if there's a problem, they then relate it to themselves. So if mommy's very sad and crying all the time, it must be because I'm a bad child. They can't make. They can't even think it could be because of the new baby. Or, exactly. They, or something there's else. no context for them, so they they struggle with that. Mm. Um, so that's why it's important that we share that with the child. And and obviously, depending on the age, you know, we can say mommy is very sad sometimes, um, but it's not your fault. And you know, she's just very tired because she's got a new baby, and maybe she's going to go to the doctor and get some medication to help her, or she talks to this doctor every week to to help her cope with it, the stress of having a new baby and also, you know, looking after you because I want to do my best and all of those types of things. So we reinforce to the child that it's not their fault and mommy wants to do good for them. You know, yeah. she wants to look after them. She wants to, to keep them well. Well, that's very valuable. And in terms of the workplace, I mean, okay, so say you are a working mom and you, you've had a part of postnatal depression and occasionally you get a bit wobbly at work. Mm. Do you think it's, it's advisable for mothers to disclose to their, um, to their, you know, supervisors or to their bosses that they're going through this? I mean, in thinking of the stigma as well. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a tricky one. So it very much depends on the environment they're in. Some, mm. some environments are very supportive. They have a lot of knowledge around mental health problems um, and, and they try to destigmatize a lot so if you're in that type of environment that's that's excellent and maybe you feel able to to disclose that if you're in quite a hostile environment it might be more difficult to disclose that um, but you know the problem with not disclosing is that then if you need support so if you need a couple of days off or you know something's going on then you're going to struggle to to ask for that support whereas if people know what's going on then then they're going to be more able to say you know you look like you're struggling a but you need to leave early today or, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, so it is a bit of a toss-up. Because what I did when I was, you know, working full-time, I basically negotiated um, when I came back from hospital. Part of my negotiation was that every Wednesday I took a salary cut to have Wednesday mm. half days. So on Wednesdays I'd work from 8 until 1 and then from there I'd go. I'd either go to a therapist or I'd go to an art mm. class or just something that focused on me yeah. and getting me better. So that's, that's, that's a, it was a change, which is a financial mm. change, but it was something that was great for my sanity mm. and for my healing. And that's, I mean, some organizations are brilliant in that way that they will negotiate, you know, maybe mum comes back part time initially, um, you know, so they've got two part time roles. Uh, maybe she then builds up to, you know, four days a week or something like that. Um, but, Mom needs to be in the position psychologically to feel confident to be able to negotiate that. Mm. So, you know, if we don't feel able to, to go in and say, look, this is what I need right now, then we're not, if we don't ask, we're not going to get it. Mm. Um, then we go in full time. It's a big shock. You know, we're feeling really tired. Maybe we're not sleeping at night. We might start uh, not doing our tasks as well as we should do. You know, our performance goes down at work. Then we get called in. And, and so that can, can get worse for us as well. Mm. And, and, and on another note, Mara, have you had to deal with mothers who are struggling with their, with the changes that their bodies have mm. gone through? Like, so I've, so I've yeah. always been a chubby girl. So <laughs> falling pregnant, I, people couldn't even tell I was pregnant because my tummy didn't show. So mm. I suffered from preggy belly envy. You know, I'd go around <laughs> shopping malls and, and I'd be looking at women with their big tummies. I'd be rubbing their tummies and, oh, I'm a doctor. I'm sorry. Can I rub your tummy? Because I wanted a tummy like mm. that. But are there women that, their, their depression is because their bodies have changed so much. Sometimes what you find, yes, you, you do find that, but you also get cases where um, maybe there's a pre-existing condition where the person maybe has some sort of eating disorder or mm -hmm. something like that, um, and, and that then 
you know, the changes in pregnancy cause a lot of difficulty in, in the mom. Um, so that does come up a lot. Um, and we also then see now, you know, post birth where all these celebrities are kind of popping oh, back my to, yeah. Goodness. I mean, it's, it's not achievable. You know, for the, for the average person, it's not it's, achievable. It's, it takes weeks mm. or even months to get rid of the baby fat. Yeah. So, so those again, we're talking, you know, we talked earlier about expectations. Those are more expectations that we have. So after the birth, I'm just going to, you know, shrink back to my pre pregnancy size and everything's going to be fantastic. Um, and, and it's not realistic. No, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. Mm. So, I mean, what are some of the general anxieties that um, new moms go through? Well, I mean, <laughs> I think for me, my biggest thing was. I wanted the baby to come out with 10 fingers and 10 toes. Okay. I'm not yeah. going to lie. I didn't want the baby with any. So I think that's probably one of the biggest anxieties yeah. is, is making sure that the, the baby is well. And a lot of those questions, what if? Mm-hmm. You know, what if something's wrong with our baby? How will we manage? Um, so, so that brings up a lot of anxiety for both parents. So not just for moms, but for both parents. And, and that's why I think it's important if, if dads do have those anxieties to have the opportunity to go to the appointments with the mom and to ask the questions. Even if they seem like ridiculous questions, that's what the professionals are there for. They're there to answer your questions. Um, so, so that definitely is an anxiety that people have, you know, the health of their baby. Um, I think the, the, Birthing plan, that's, that's something that comes up a lot. So, so women wanted to, again, this idea of perfection, you know, women want the birth to go perfectly. Because all the magazines that we read. <laughs> yeah. Magazines, books, all of these celebrities where everything's just amazing. Um, so those, those are, are, are anxieties. Broader anxieties, I think, around work, around finances, adjusting to a new baby in the house. If there are other children in the house, you know, how's the other child going to, going to take to a new baby? Am I going to have enough time to, to, you know, give that child attention as well? So those are kind of broader anxieties. And again, it depends on, you know, maybe the, the family, the broader family was not, um, supportive of the pregnancy. So how will sort of you know, the grandparents react to it and aunties and uncles. So those can be anxieties that people think about as well. Yeah. I mean, the other day I was apologizing to my husband. We were having a little chat over some champagne and I was telling him how sorry I was for all the things I did when I was pregnant. Like I was very snappy happy. So mm-hmm. I, was, I, I was called snappy happy and vomits comments. <laughs> <laughs> and when I look back on the way that I was, I was really, I was a piece of work. Mm-hmm. Amara. So, I mean, how did, how are dads meant to cope with that? What if, what if after all of that, your partner is the one that's like now really down in the dumps and he's depressed? What, what can we do to alleviate that? That does happen and it's something we don't talk about a lot. Mm. So research, South Africa, we don't have, have very good research, um, in terms of stats, but in, in America, they, they, think around 4% of men will suffer from what's kind of being termed as um, paternal depression. So it's not technically postnatal because obviously they haven't had a baby. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, 4% is a lot. So they, it's the same thing. So same symptoms, um, sort of feeling agitated, feeling hostile towards the partner, um, hopeless and helpless, withdrawn, uh, not sleeping properly, not eating properly, all of those things. So, so they will suffer from those as well. Um, and we need to be looking out for that. So people, as much as people don't tend to ask about mum, you know, we all focus on the baby. People certainly don't ask about dad. You know, how are you doing with all of this? What are your expectations? What do you want? What don't you want? What are you worried about? All of those kinds of questions. Um, and it's important for them as well to be able to have that opportunity. So in the relationship, if mom and dad can both talk about those things with each other, then, you know, there's going to be a better understanding for both parties about where each other stands. And then post birth, we'll be able to notice more 
what's going on with the other person. Mm, and, and that communication is so important because mm. I promise you when that child is screaming, it's, oh, mm. you just want to kill someone. I think it's difficult. You know, dads, dads actually, dads that I work with want to get involved. But a lot of the mums are very territorial around baby and they don't think dad can do as good a job as mom can. And so that's something that needs to come up as well. So mom might be saying, you don't support me, you don't help me. Dad's saying, I want to, but you won't let me. So we need to have those dialogues as well around what can dad do? Maybe dad can bath baby every night. Or change nappies. Or change nappies or whatever it is. But then, you know, it's difficult for mom to let go. Yeah, but bath time is actually a nice time. So I want to have bath time. And it's it's about negotiating those roles as well. You know, if dad's working full time, maybe he is exhausted when he gets home and maybe he can only spend 10, 15, 20 minutes with baby. And it's it's actually, you know, it's enough for him. Um, but then mom might feel angry because, you know, I've had them all day and now you just spend 20 and minutes. The feeling of resentment it. is mm. so strong. Amara. I know mm. exactly what you're speaking about. Mm. I used to feel like that. Mm. I'd, I would feel like that if my husband had gone to Kempton Park where he works mm. on Fridays and I've left with the kids. I, just, I couldn't cope with mm. both of them. Mm. You know, it's just really hard. So it's a constant renegotiation of roles. Mm. You know, what happens is we end up just getting into a pattern. So mum packs lunches, takes them to school, fetches them, takes them to extramurals. But maybe mum actually wants to get back into doing something for herself. So maybe she can ask dad, you know, on a Tuesday, I want to go to yoga. So can you please fetch the kids on a Mm. Tuesday? And it starts just with that. But it's it's constant, you know, as they grow older and as, as the sort of things happen in terms of school and extramurals and all of those types of things, we need to keep renegotiating those roles. Yeah, and I mean, and, and also making changes just with, within the within everyone's lives. I know with us, when I came out of hospital, the first thing we did was get a live-in mm. domestic worker mm-hmm. because I said that I'm not going to, I will not be able to wake up early in the morning and do things that I used to do, mm. like getting the kids ready before the mm-hmm. transport arrives. So our, our helper moved in with us. And we have a new one now, but she also lives with us. And that has made all the difference. Yeah. You know, cause some mornings, I, you know, there's some days when I still can't get out of bed tomorrow. Mm. I mean, I'm doing very well, mm. but there are days when I just can't get out of bed. Mm. And again, so it's about practical support. Mm. Is there somebody that can help with just cleaning up? You know, is there a, a grandparent or an aunt that can actually come and look after the kids on a Saturday morning? Just so that I can go and, I don't know, have my hair done or do mm. my nails or just potter around and have a cup of coffee on my own. Well, you know what else there is? You have au pairs. Mm-hmm. You have au pairs. You have, you have um, nanny services as well. I mean, it might be a bit expensive for, mm. for, for many of us. But just that one day where you think, today I want to go to the spa yeah. and have my nails done, bring in the nanny and you can go. Because families are disintegrating mm. now. Like we're all over the place. So it's not always easy to have Google close by and on. But you know? I think we also underestimate how much families would want to be involved. You know, when people actually ask the question of an auntie, yeah. you know, would you like to have your niece stay over on Friday night? Absolutely. That would be awesome. You know what? It's one night in six months. I'm sure I can handle, you know, a toddler for one night. Um, but we don't ask because we think, oh, I don't want to put that pressure on them and they probably won't want to have them. But actually, you know, if they've got a good relationship with this child, why wouldn't they want to spend yeah. time with them? And we're not saying you have to have them for the whole weekend. Can you fetch them from school on a Friday, take them for lunch, keep them busy, and I'll fetch them at 6 o'clock in the evening? You know, and that's, that's a so practical. I mean, and that's a, that goes a long way in ensuring that mommies don't 
end mm. up slipping into in, into postnatal depression. Exactly. So we need to think about what resources we do have and actually tapping into those. Friends as well. You know, friends have kids. They they know what you're going through. So talk to them and ask them. You know, maybe on a certain day a week you can fetch all of the kids and another day a week I'll fetch all of the kids. So we each have one day a week where we, you know, we can go and do our own thing. And, and I've been fortunate because I have friends who do that for mm-hmm. me. So they'll, I'll ask them on a Friday, can you please have the kids and then I'll fix them on Saturday evening. Mm-hmm. Just that I can sleep. Because mm-hmm. there are times when all I need to do is just sleep. Mm. You know, so the support structures are not necessarily the conventional ones. Yeah. It can be people outside of family mm-hmm. who are pitching in to help you, you mm. know, as you go through, through this difficult time. Mm. So we, we tend to think quite, um, narrowly. Yeah. You know, we think of our family as just mom, dad, and the kids. But the, you know, very often friends become family and, and they are there for us if we are able to, to reach out to them. Yeah. And do you also do counseling for um extended family? Like would you get the granny in or the grandfather or, you know, if necessary? I don't tend to do family therapy, but there are family therapies um available. Mm. There might be cases where, you know, maybe the I'm having therapy with the mom and maybe dad needs to come in for a session just to kind of understand a few things. Mm. But if it's individual therapy, then we like to keep it individual um, because it changes the dynamic if you bring in other people. But there are certainly family therapy services available, and that can be very, very useful. What I tend to do is rather give information, so more psychoeducation. Yeah, that's what I the, mean, psychoeducation okay. for the extended family. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's more what what we would do for the extended family. So to understand what mom is going through, mm. um, that it might be very difficult for her to ask for help. So sometimes, you know, as the extended family, you need to make suggestions. So rather than just saying, can I help? Mom says, no, I'm fine. Say, well, you know, can I bring dinner twice a week and I'll eat with you? You know, then I get to see you, I get to see the kids, and you and don't I have to cook. with the kids and mm. so on. Yeah. So for us to make those suggestions for mum, and, and she might, you know, the more we do that, the more we're able to get involved, the more likely she is to accept that support, and that's going to benefit her and the rest of the family. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think it's much easier than having expecting someone to ask because mm. sometimes you are just so worn down mm-hmm. you can't even ask a simple question mm. like can I can you help me or can you do this or can you go shopping for me and mm. stuff like that what I also found really helped for me and speaking of shopping was online shopping I, mm-hmm. I think during those those that first year after my my admission I did a lot of online shopping because mm. the thought of going to a mall and seeing people and the crowd it was just too much well and I think especially when you've got more than one child so you know one child might be manageable um, but then when you've got maybe a toddler and a, a new baby to try and sort of negotiate the the aisles of of a shopping center or you know grocery store it's 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 near impossible so you know sometimes people go with family um, but online shopping can certainly help and just from a holistic health point of view Mara okay so apart from the psychotherapy, the medication, exercise, eating habits, how does that play a role in alleviating mm-hmm. the symptoms of postnatal depression? All of those things will be beneficial. So when it comes to any depression, we would always recommend some kind of physical exercise. Mm. Um, doesn't necessarily have to be, again, you know, when we think of exercise, we think of the gym. But if we just go for a wander around the block, you know, as long as it's safe where you live, or we take the dog for a walk, or we just go and sit outside and do a bit of gardening or something, plant a few little pansies or something, you know, it's getting us fresh air, it's maybe increasing our heart rate, all of those things are going to be beneficial. Um, in the same way as diet is very, very important. So we need to be giving our body what it needs in order to function properly. And, you know, if you, if you have a special diet, so if you're vegetarian or something like that, then you need to be giving all the nutrients you need in other ways. So whether that's things that you're eating or supplements that you're taking, but all of those things are going to be impacting on your mood. So if you're not getting the right food, you're not getting the right nutrients, you might feel, 
you know, we all know you get a bit hungry, you get a bit grumpy. So that's going to be happening. Um, you're then not going to be getting enough sleep. Now you've got a, a newborn in the house, you're not getting enough sleep anyway. So you're going to be feeling agitated, you're, you know, irritable, on edge, those types of things. Um, so we need to, as you say, look at it holistically and try and get every aspect working to the point where, where we can recover fully. Mm, and what helped me as well was um, arts and crafts because mm-hmm. you know during the admission we had to make stuff so I made a lot of nice things mm-hmm. and I realized that I enjoyed that that was really like mm-hmm. it was fun you know so I tended to do that a lot I cut, just even just cutting pictures out of a magazine mm-hmm. just to get your mind away from what's stressing you out that also helped mm-hmm. and again so it's finding something that focuses on you Mm. You know, so arts and crafts or if you enjoy gardening, some people love reading, some people love listening to music, just lying in a hot bath, whatever it is that focuses on you and allows you to to have that attention for yourself. Because what we do is we're so other focused that we don't think about ourselves, but all of the stuff is racing through our minds all of the time. And and sometimes what we end up doing is trying to avoid that. So we do so much around us so that we don't think about what's going on in our own minds. Um, and actually what's what's useful is if we can take the time to reflect on ourselves and understand, you know, I am feeling a bit low today. And that actually makes sense because I haven't slept very well for the last week or two weeks or three weeks. Um, my partner is away for work. So, you know, I'm, I've got the kids on my own. So no wonder I'm feeling a bit down. Mm. You know, and it's less, it's less of a pressure. It makes more sense. It's more realistic. It's mm. not some failure about me that I'm just a bad mom because I feel down. Mm. That's so important. But John and Mara, thank you so much because we're running out of time. But before we go, I really want you to give us all your details, where we can find you, where your practices, details of the Postnatal Depression Society and, of course, the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Okay, so my practice is in Morningside. Mm-hmm. Um, my practice, it's, it's Facilitate Health and Wellness. So so the website is facilitate.coza. Um, the Postnatal Depression Support Association, their website is pndsa.org.za. They also have a, a mobile number that you can call um, or you can text and then they'll call you back. So that's 082-882-0072. SADAG then, that's the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. So their website is sadag.org and they have an 0800 number. So it's 0800 21-22-23 and they are 24 hours a day so the PNDSA number is not 24 hours a day um, so you know if they don't answer that call they will get back to you whereas if, if you're having an emergency or, or you, you really need to speak to somebody straight away then I, I would suggest that you call SADAG um, because they are open 24 hours a day Oh, thank you so much, Mara. I mean, I really enjoyed talking to you. I think I felt as if I was in therapy myself with all the stuff that I was sharing. But I mean, my, my main message and one of the reasons why I wanted you on the show was just to give hope and, mm. and whoever's listening, whoever may be feeling this way, feeling, you know, t- blue or depressed after having a baby, there is hope. There mm. is medication. There is therapy out there. There is help. Everything is actually going to be fine. And I think what it starts with is actually talking about it. So as mm. much as you were sharing so much, you know, there is that to share. Um, and if we can share that with each other, then then we're less likely to suffer these things alone. No, thank you so much for being here, Mara. Thank you for having me. Great. Keeping it real on cliffcentral.com.